Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Hi, I'm Lisa, and I am preaching today. Um, As Ted mentioned, Chris and Heather are out today due to sickness. Um, And... Whenever I preach, I've always been told, preach from your overflow, Um, which means basically be so in your word and in the Bible and connected with God that when you're preaching, you're not just trying to get something together for that message, right? Like we're filled up and overflowing. You should preach from that. Um, Unfortunately, with the season that I'm in right now in life, I didn't want to do that. Um, I... I'm going to tell you a little bit of background about my husband and I. We were in full-time ministry for 11 years and then part-time for two years. Um, And by we, I mean him, but ministry is a family thing. Um, And so I fully take credit for everything I did, which was keep my kid alive, uh, keep our kids alive. But a couple years ago, God started calling us out of that season. And we are people who don't like to be called out of something. We want to be called into something. All right, here's the difference. If I'm standing here and I'm very comfortable and God says, there's a great thing over there, I'm fully comfortable leaving this to go here. Right? But God didn't do that. We were here and pretty comfortable. And God said, go out. I said, what direction? He said, I didn't tell you the direction. I told you to go. And so we stepped out. And it's been a weird year for us, or a weird couple of years, or three years, or I don't even know. I've lost track of the transition. Um, but at this stage, we are in the middle. We are in that period between where you know what's going on to the next thing that's going on. But we are in the middle, and we, don't, we know what we left, but we don't know where we're going. Has anyone else ever felt like that? I think a lot of times we think that life is lived in the certainties, but the majority of the time, ooh, lights, the majority of the time, life is lived in the uncertainties. It's lived in the moments between the moments where God spoke to you clearly. He's like, go do this, and you start taking steps, and you're like, I thought I heard you, but I feel like the next thing should have come by now. I thought this is what we were supposed to be doing. So as I was prepping to preach out of my overflow, I realized this is the overflow no one wants to preach out of. So this is the message that I don't particularly want to hear for myself, but it's the pressure, but it's the message that I feel like I'm supposed to give today. So just so you know, as we're going through this, this is going to be kind of very, I'm kind of laying it out there a little bit just so you know. So um, I also thought that since this message is one that's a little bit tricky for me, I was like, you know what, I'm going to like share some facts about myself to make myself a little bit more relatable. You want to know what facts I came up with? I like black licorice and I don't like pumpkin spice. No one agrees with that. No one agrees. I was like, God, those aren't even good facts. No one's going to relate to that. They're all like, black licorice, Why? Those are the facts I came up with, you guys. I am on a roll. So 
<laughs> that is my fantastic intro. Um, today I'm talking about being in the middle, but specifically leading in the meantime. Because sometimes when we're not exactly where we know where we're going, and sometimes when we're in that in-between, it can feel hard to know what to do, and it can be especially hard to feel like you know how to lead other people. And I'm not just talking about leadership in a church capacity, leadership in a volunteer capacity, leadership in a job capacity. I'm talking about leading yourself when you're on your own or leading the people in your household, or leading your little close group of friends who you're looking at going, I don't really know, but I'm trying to lead. And remember that God is faithful. So we're going to be looking at two people in the Bible today. The first is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the second is Jesus himself. And I was really excited to talk about this because one of my parts of Jesus's life that I find the most interesting that isn't written about is the time before he started ministry. Because he was born, and about 30-ish years later, he actually started ministry. But there were 30 years in there where we don't know a whole lot about him. We know at one point he was 12 and started preaching in the temple, and his mom got really freaked out and was like, where is Jesus? And they had to go back and find him. But beyond that, we really don't know a whole lot about that time. There are some things that we can assume. The Bible says Jesus was a carpenter. Um, It's not carpentering the way that we think. The word was actually tecton, um, which means he was more likely a stonemason. So a couple things we can assume. One, he was very buff, strong Jesus, and that he worked with his hands. Like he was probably just a buff guy with a lot of calluses. You don't really think about that side of Jesus, right? We think about Jesus laying next to the lambs, being very gentle. But he was buff Jesus with calluses on his hands. He was a stonemason, more likely than anything else. But we also know that he knew the scripture. By the time he starts his ministry and he goes out into the desert to get tempted, he knows scripture. When Satan comes to him and says, throw yourself off from this high place or turn the stone into bread, Jesus rebukes him with scripture. So we know that during the season of preparation that he was in his word, which I think says something to us, that even when we're in the middle of it, we need to be first and foremost rooted in scripture and rooted in our relationship with God. But before Jesus, there was a woman named Mary. And Mary I find completely fascinating because the way that she responds is so incredibly human. When I look at people in the Bible, I know it's really easy sometimes to think that they were these above average people who just responded like, yes, God, use me. But when the angel showed up to Mary, if you have your Bible, I'm in Luke 2. When the angel showed up to Mary, um... Just kidding. I'm in Luke 1. Um, When the angel showed up to Mary, Gabriel said, came and he said, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is is with you. Blessed are you among the women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. I find it so interesting that The angel was like, you are favored. 
And Mary wasn't like, yeah, I am. But she was troubled at it. She's like, me? Favorite me? I'm just, I don't know if I can really be favorite. I think I'm just kind of average. I don't know if there's really anything special for me. I'm just kind of living my life. But this angel showed up and called me favored, and I'm troubled. And then she considers it. I find that so interesting. And as I was reading this, I realized that the angel calling her favored is hard. Because from our vantage point, we look back and say, Mary, you were so favored. But in that moment when the angel called her favored, I bet it didn't feel favored. She would have been ostracized from her community. People wouldn't have trusted her. She almost lost her fiancé. And then she knew that she was going to grow up to have this baby who was eventually going to die. That doesn't seem favored. And a lot of times in our lives, when we hear that we are highly favored by God, we think favored means surface-level happy. When in reality, sometimes when God says, I have favored you, now go forward, and we start taking steps, sometimes favored looks like uncertainty. Sometimes favored looks like being misunderstood. Sometimes favored looks like us going, God, I am troubled, and I am considering this. I don't fully understand what's happening, but more than my feelings, I choose to trust your character. And that's what Mary did. She listens to the angels, and she was a little bit troubled, a little bit confused. She considered what he said. But she chose to say, let it be to me as you have said. She chose to set aside her own understanding and say, okay, God, I don't get it, but I know you. I don't get it, but I know what the Bible says about your character. I don't get it, but I know that you're faithful. And so I am willing to take the step and walk through whatever it might be that I have to walk through to get there. After Mary finds out she's pregnant, she goes to go see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is a woman who is pregnant with John the Baptist. Now at this time, I guess we don't really know it's John the Baptist. Elizabeth knew, but this is all kind of, you know, babies. Um, So (laughs) Mary goes to see her, and Elizabeth says, Oh my gosh, you walked up, and the baby jumped in my womb. And in that moment, Elizabeth starts saying all of these things about Jesus because the Holy Spirit moves, and she doesn't have a choice but to speak about the greatness of God and to speak faith into Mary's circumstance, even though the majority of people in Mary's life were not speaking faith into her circumstance. But Elizabeth is there, and she's like, Oh my gosh, Mary, this phenomenal thing is happening. It's so amazing. And it got me thinking... How many times in our lives do we bring people around us who we think are skilled in a certain area instead of asking first and foremost, are they empowered by the Holy Spirit? Because I know I've chosen some advisors over the years because I wanted to be like them. I thought they were awesome. I wanted to learn how to write from them. I wanted to learn how to speak from them. I remember different people that I look back at college. I'm like, why did you admire that person? 
You spent a lot of time hoping that they would like you. Were they really the right person? Well, instead of Mary going around to everyone around her saying, God told me I favored, does this look like favor? <laughs> Mary considered the things, and when she saw Elizabeth, and Elizabeth said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you get to walk this out. Mary responded to her, with my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. I think that's so amazing because she allowed someone to speak into her life who was Holy Spirit empowered so that the promise that she had was echoed in her friend who then spoke it back to her that built her faith to a place where she was unable to say yes and amen. Later on, after Jesus is born, the shepherds are out in the field and they see the angel show up and they say, behold, The Lamb of God is born. And they tell the shepherds, like, go, you're going to find a babe in Bethlehem, wrapped in swatting cloths, laying in a manger. And they go, and they go see Mary. And in Luke 2, they go find her. And when they show up, I'm sure Mary's like, hello? (laughs) I mean, I remember having a baby. I didn't want visitors. But all these kids show up because the shepherds were the youngest ones of the day. And all these kids show up and they're like, oh my gosh, there were the angels and they were singing the songs and they were yelling and they were saying that glory had come and we came to find you and here you are. And says, and Mary pondered these things in her heart. She not only got response from Elizabeth who built her faith, But then after having the baby, she gets more confirmation from the shepherds who surround her, and she ponders these things in her heart. And as I read that, I realized I would have been a lot better off in different seasons of life if I had pondered more in my heart instead of trying to convince everyone else. And that's why I didn't want to preach this message. (laughs) Just being honest, like, I I have to be right. (laughs) But she pondered because she knew what God had spoken. But from the time that God spoke and said, Mary, you're going to have a baby, to the time that the baby or the shepherd showed up, that was months later. When's the last time you felt like God gave you a promise and you were frustrated within a week? Like, and her process wasn't easy. There was the initial, she almost lost her fiancé. And then she had to go through the physical changes that showed everyone around. I got pregnant before I was married. She had to go through the pain of childbirth. And in the moment where she was giving birth, I don't think she was sitting there going, man, I am so favored right now. But she gets to this place where she has to constantly be surrounded by and being reminded by other people that God's promise is still true. That even in the moments when it doesn't always feel like we are favored, and even in the moments where we're not where we were, but we're not yet where we're going, in this moment, regardless of our feelings, God's character does not change and we can trust him. 
So Mary had to allow people to speak into her lives, her life, but she also had to be careful about who she allowed to speak into her life. From there, eventually, they bring Jesus in to the temple. And Simeon and Anna are there. And Simeon is like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And Anna responds, um, where is it? Yeah, so Anna, the prophetess, my title in my Bible says, Anna bears witness to the Redeemer. She had been waiting at the temple for years, praying and fasting, and finally, Mary shows up with Jesus. In between Simeon and Anna, they're like, we have seen him. And I think that's such a beautiful moment. But in that moment where Mary is carrying this baby, and I don't know about you, but when I had a baby, I immediately felt like my life did not matter as much to other people. I'd be holding a baby and people would be like, oh, your baby's so cute. I'm like, yeah, but I'm a person. Like, ask me how I'm doing. Yes, the baby is not sleeping. Yes, I am exhausted, but talk to me. Um, But in that moment where Mary is bringing the baby to the temple and people are saying, that's him, that's him, that's him. In that moment, Mary could have either tried to fight for her own position or recognize that she was a secondary character. I think part of the pressure in our lives when we are in the middle is that we want to assume that we are the most important character in our lives. But we are always a secondary character to Jesus and what he wants to do. We put way too much pressure on ourselves thinking that we have to have it figured out versus assuming that the Holy Spirit will be the one to empower us going forward. So Mary's sitting there with this baby recognizing, yep, it's not about me. And sometimes that's one of the hardest lessons to learn. But from there, we know that she leads Jesus in her household. She leads him to learn the Bible. I realize I didn't check the time. Um, she leads him in scripture. She leads him among the family members. Um, she leads him in how to take care of himself and raises up this kid. She leads him, even when she has that panicked moment where they can't find Jesus, and she has to go back to the temple and is like, why did you stay? And Jesus is like, I I had to. This is what I was supposed to be doing. But in that moment, her response was probably panicked mom. But something about her response told Jesus that, yeah, you being about your father's business is the priority. She led him through this process, and we get to the place where Jesus is finally starting the ministry at 30, which I did not like knowing that Jesus only began his ministry at 30. I wanted it to start at like 16, when I knew it all. I was like, let's start the ministry right now, not understanding why sometimes you just need to be in your 30s. Just just saying. Um, so we get to this place where Mary is talking to Jesus, who has now been baptized by John the Baptist, which is interesting. One of the people who spoke faith in the Mary was Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John, while Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And we get to the start of Jesus' ministry, and now he goes to John. Because John, even in the womb, knew Jesus. 
John recognized that there was something special about him. So Jesus goes to John to get baptized. Then John baptizes him. And then he goes out into the desert to get ten to get tested, which we already talked about, how Jesus understood the scripture, knew about the character of God. And yes, he was God, but he was also fully man. He was fully man and fully God. So it's not like the testing was easy. Just because you can know everything in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that life is just suddenly super easy. It wouldn't have been called a test if it wasn't a test. Right? Logic? Yeah, we're just going to move on from there. Um, So all of this happens. Jesus starts calling his disciples. And then we get to the first miracle that Jesus performed. And this is in John 2. And it is one of my favorite stories in the Bible about Jesus. And it is where Jesus goes to a wedding and he turns water into wine. Now, it's not my favorite miracle because it was wine. It was my favorite miracle because God could have had his first miracle be where he healed someone. It could have been where his first miracle was one where he raised someone from the dead. His first miracle could have been that he rescued someone who really needed rescuing. But instead, his first miracle was the miracle of abundance. And I find that so fascinating. But what I really love about the story is how it starts. So I am in John 2. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. I've been to Cana. It's really cool. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, (laughs) I insert attitude into reading. Jesus said to her, probably nicer, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother, being his mom, ignored him. Okay, it doesn't say it ignored him. But it says his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. All right, now get this context. They're at a wedding. They're out of wine. Mary's sitting there going, Jesus, they're out of wine. And Jesus goes, no, it's not time yet. And Mary, and Mary looks at him, looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. She ignores him. She wasn't like, okay, Jesus, your time isn't yet. She just moved forward anyway, expecting the miracle. Now, when... I absolutely love about this is that Mary wasn't afraid to move forward because Mary, when she was pregnant, had an angel speak to her, had Elizabeth speak to her, had Simeon and Anna say, this is the one that we have been waiting for. All of the Old Testament has been pointing forward to this moment when Jesus shows up on the scene Everything has been pointing forward to the moment that Jesus becomes the restorer and the redeemer. Everything has been pointing forward. And in that moment, my guess isn't that Mary was just ignoring her son. My guess was Mary was like, you know what? I understand that you're saying it's not your time yet, but I know who you are. And I am not afraid to call greatness out of you. Sometimes when we get to a season of our lives, we're very open to accepting insight from other people. 
But then we start to grow a little bit and we get distance from the people who were originally calling out the greatness in us. And I just want to tell you today that if you have someone that for the last 10 years of your life has been speaking over you, going, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. The minute that you start doing it, don't just run out of contact with them. Stay in contact with them because they are going to be the people who will see it on your good days and on your bad days. If you don't have those people in your life, it's why it's so important being part of a local church. It's why we encourage you to volunteer. It's why we encourage you to get involved because having those relationships around you to encourage you on the good days and on the hard days, to be able to look at you and say, listen, I don't know your full circumstance, but I know what the Bible says. I might not know why this is happening, but I know that God is healer. I might not understand why you're walking through X, Y, and Z, but I know that God promises to redeem and to restore, that he is in the process of making all things new. And sometimes the people that we have in our lives speaking to us are the ones saying, uh, maybe, hold back, maybe it is, maybe, but you know, let's just play it safe. And what we really need is the people in our lives who are calling our dreams to life and saying, I remember when God said that to you. And yes, it might be a hard moment right now, but God hasn't forgotten. So Mary in that moment just ignores him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I hear you, Jesus. Servants, do whatever he says. That assumes Jesus is going to tell them to do something. Because if she says, do whatever he says, then Jesus doesn't do anything or say anything. It's kind of an awkward situation. <laughs> so Jesus is like, gather the pots, fill them with water. And then the miracle happens. Now, I talked through quite a few different things, but I wanted to hit some of these same points looking at Jesus in the story. Because Jesus says, what does this concern have to do with me? My hour hasn't yet come. That must have been hard for Jesus. Like, I don't think that Jesus was looking forward with anticipation to his hour coming. He was faithful in his walk. He never sinned. He always did what God asked him to do, and he constantly said, I am just going about my father's business. But can you imagine knowing that at some point in your life, you are going to begin your ministry, the miracles that you are going to do is going to make a whole bunch of people mad, the religious leaders of the day are going to decide that they want to kill you, they're going to partner up with other people, to have it happen in one of the worst and most brutal ways possible. I don't think Jesus was going through the first 30 years of his life going, come on, hour. Let's get this going. He knew what the end result was, and he knew it was worth it. He still chose to do it, but I don't think he was looking forward to it. And we know because in the Garden of Gethsemane, When he was sitting there praying, he was praying, God, if there's any way for this cup to be removed from me, please, let's do that. Is there a plan B? Can we go with a different option? And yet God, who had favor on Mary, and Mary had to go through it, also had favor on Jesus. And there were probably moments where Jesus had to fight the feelings of not favor, 
while still standing firmly on Scripture, knowing that God's character doesn't change just because we might not feel it. So he's saying, my time has not yet come. And Mary says, whatever he says to do, do it. Jesus, just like Mary, had people who were allowed to speak into his life, who were Holy Spirit-empowered. Mary had her people around her, Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna, and I'm sure a few other close friends too. Jesus got to a spot where he had John the Baptist. And then God from heaven is like, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then he had his mom, Mary, who was calling out the greatness in him and saying, I understand, but I care about you, and I'm going to continue trusting that this is what's going to happen. Can you imagine how hard that would be for a mom to see a kid grow up from a newborn to a three-year-old to a 12-year-old to acne spots to going through voice changes to that weird adulthood stage where you're not really a kid, but you're not really an adult. You're trying to figure out life. A stage where, like, your face doesn't quite fit. You know what I'm talking about. Some things just grow too fast. Like, go through all those different things, and then into adulthood, and he's 20, and he's coming up on 30. If anything, in that moment, Mary, if she was like a lot of moms, would have said, Jesus, they're out of wine, and Jesus would have said, my hour's not yet come. And she could have easily been like, you're right. Also, I don't know if you can do it. I don't know if you're really that kid. I remember you back in the day. You were kind of slow learning math. I'm just not sure if you're the guy. But instead, she looked at her kid, who she knew so incredibly well, and said, yes, I see you, and I believe the word that God has spoken on you. I believe what has been spoken about you, and I'm going to look at you and say, yes. Yes and amen. I don't know about you, but I want to be that parent who calls out the greatness of my kids. I want to be that leader who looks at the people around me and who is like, you can do this. I had tried to be that person who's walking around Target, and when I see a woman who has on like a pair of earrings I like, I'm like, I like your earrings. I see them. You have great hair color. Not because they, that is like the most life-changing thing, but because I want to be someone who is calling out the good things that I see. I'm the mom who walks around Target, and when they have their kid who's just crying and freaking out, she's trying to buy cereal, I go over and I say, you're doing a really good job. Because I want to call out greatness in other people, but it is one thing to call out the greatness in strangers. It is another thing to choose to step into that in your own household and call out the greatness of those closest to you, the greatness in the people who you see all of their flaws, all of their mess, all of their insecurity. When I talk to Ted about something, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, and he turns around and says, yes, you can. It means more because he has seen me through my highs and my lows for 18 years. His encouragement means something different because he sees the worst parts of me. You also see the best parts of me too, but you're also biased. Yeah, you like me. So make sure that you're allowing people to speak in your life 
who are Holy Spirit-empowered. This doesn't mean that you can't have other advisors around you. I have a financial advisor. I have my real estate advisor. I have different business advisors. But the people in my life who I'm really going to allow to know my dreams and my desires and the promises that God has spoken to me, those people, I don't care how skilled they are, as long as they are intimately connected with God. Because we need to hold those things closely. Because one wrong word in the wrong time can make for a wrong season from experience. Next up, um, the mother said to the servant, whatever he says to you, do it. So Jesus basically says, get all these jars, fill them up, and then he turns the water into wine. You can read the rest of the story. I'm just jumping ahead to the end of it. It says, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. What I find interesting is Mary acted as a secondary character. She recognized her role. She knew that she wasn't number one. She knew that her whole job was to raise up Jesus, who was Messiah. But Jesus, he was the primary character. The whole Old Testament was pointing forward, going, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. The Gospels were all, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, Jesus is here. And the rest of the New Testament is looking back going, Jesus was here, and Jesus is coming. But even though Jesus was the primary character, he acted as the secondary character. I think sometimes when we are trying to lead, especially in our homes, but in other areas of life too, we think that leadership is about other people coming around us and helping us. When in reality, leadership is recognizing, Christian leadership is recognizing everything in our lives is about being the secondary character to what Jesus wants to do. And the amount of pressure that we put on ourselves to have it all together is not where we are supposed to be. But when we recognize that we are the secondary characters, Jesus had every right to walk in and say, I am the one you have been waiting for. Come on, disciples, help me. Do what I'm asking you to do. But in this moment when he did the miracle, it didn't say everyone at the wedding believed. It said, he, his mother's, oh, sorry. It said, um, Jesus manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. His mom already believed him. And now the disciples believed him. Rather than going out and trying to lead the crowds, I want to encourage you to spend some time leading your household and getting the people that you're leading in your household to believe you. When we say that we lead people, sometimes it's really easy to get the mindset that this is about me and this is about them helping me. But the minute that Jesus chose to wash his disciples' feet, the minute that he performed the miracle in Cana, so that his disciples would believe him. The moment that he explained things to them in parables, and the moment that he 
slowly revealed his glory over the course of his ministry. The way that he communicated with them and the way that he taught them every step of the way. He chose to be the secondary character. He chose to know that it was about bringing God ultimate glory. And he also, in those moments, chose to prioritize his disciples above himself. Isn't that really cool? I know over the years, especially in jobs I've had, when I used to work at Pomida, that was fun. The way that leadership was done there was your job as the cashier or as the stock person was meant to make your boss's life easier. And yet Jesus took a completely different approach in his leadership. And he looked at the people around him and said, my life is going to become harder because I want you to know me. I'm going to do the hard work of humility. It it probably wasn't hard for Jesus. It's hard for me. I'm going to do the hard work of reminding myself that what each one of you have done here this morning is more important than what I'm doing right now. I'm going to remind myself that the people that I lead are better at most things than I am. I'm going to remind myself that my kids are awesome. And I know that they're awesome. But the fact is, I want to do the work of reminding myself that one day they are going to far surpass me. And I want to be the person who, with every person that I lead, when they grow up and exceed anything I could even dream of doing, that I am cheering them on. Because sometimes leadership in our households and leadership in the church and leadership in business, it's not about the hierarchy. It's about willing to take on the servant leadership position that Jesus took on. And to say, I prefer you, and I want to do the hard work of allowing you to get to know me. Mary pondered, and Mary considered. But Jesus revealed. Jesus brought people around him. He had people that spoke into him, but he brought his 12. And then he had his three. And then he had his one. And in the moments when it could have been easier for Jesus to just just say, you know what? Y'all are crazy. I'm going to go do this myself. Jesus said, my priority isn't to do what is easy. My priority is to do what is right. And I don't really have a great way of ending this this message, except to say that leadership in the middle totally stings. I know how to lead when I'm here. I know how to lead when I'm here. But leading in this in-between space, when the roles aren't defined and everything feels like it's moving and nothing is steady, we need to remember that first and foremost, God never changes. And if our feet are planted solidly on him, nothing can shake us. And secondly, these are the moments where people see who you really are 
And so I want to encourage you that it might look really good when you know where you are, and it might look really good when you know where you are. But these moments, it's way less about impressing the people who are outside and way more about humbly leading and showing the integrity that we have within our own households. Because if you want to change the world, start with your house. I'm going to take a moment to pray. And I specifically just want to pray a blessing over everyone right now who's kind of in the middle of it. If you could all close your eyes. If you're in it and you want to raise a hand, you're welcome to. Um, And I understand. Jesus, we know that you are with us, that you are great, and that you are good. God, you are not a God who is distant, but you are one who is near. You are great, which means you are a God who has power. And you are good. You are for us, and you are for the people around us. Jesus, I thank you so much for every person who is here, but, and specifically for the people who are in the middle right now. Because, God, when our identities are shaken, when our paths don't seem straight and we don't really know what direction that we're walking, God, we know that you are always solid. We know that you are always sure and that we can trust in you. So Jesus, would you do the work in us? Would you bring the right conversations in the right moments, just like Mary had Elizabeth, for the people who are here who just feel like they're kind of in it right now, would you bring the right conversation in the right moment that would encourage them to stay grounded in you? God, would you renew people's hearts and would you bring them back to a place of digging into your word, of worshiping on their own and of prayer, not because they have to in order to do a good job, but because you are drawing us constantly to be in relationship with you. Jesus, help each person here know here that they are not alone. And God, as we go through our week, would you help us to feel your joy and your peace, the peace that doesn't come from our external circumstances, but the peace that comes from knowing that we are found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.